I, uh, I have no idea what words that the person is singing in that song. You could be talking about, you know, bugs or mucking stalls or something like that. I would have no idea, but it sounds pretty, doesn't it? <laughs> I kind of like it. Um, glad that you are all here. Really, really glad to see everybody. Um, today's an interesting day. If you're um, back at, uh, in the Thrive Kids area, make sure that you say happy birthday to Mishana, our children's ministry director. Yeah. I have not asked how old she is because apparently that's impolite. I've had to learn that the hard way. So now I ask um, what the anniversary of the 29th birthday is. That <laughs> usually works. And then I do math, which I'm not very good at. So, Also, on this day, uh, about 23 years ago, um, uh, I met um, Lisa Barger at a little Methodist church in Blissfield, Michigan, and we said I do to each other. So 23 years. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so make sure you uh, say uh, to Lisa, I'm like, oh, God help you for the next 23 years. <laughs> it's helped her this far. Anyway, so kind of a cool day today. Hey, we're in this uh, series called Priesthood. We're talking about the Protestant doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, which basically says that um, because we all have access to God directly, we don't necessarily need a priest in between us. And so we're all priests to one another, but yet there are still tasks that priests do. And so we've been, we've been studying that. We've been taking a good look at at um, what priests actually do, both Old Testament and kind of what Jesus had in mind, and, and trying, to, trying to understand that, because if we are a priest of all believers, how are we supposed to act? And so if you remember, back in, in week one, uh, we, talked about, we talked about this, that priests ultimately are mediators or conduits, or better, better stated, distributors of grace and mercy that ultimately they would help people connect to God. And so for, for being a priesthood of all believers, we distribute grace and mercy not only to the people around us, but to one another inside the assembly. Does that make sense? And then last week, we took a, a, a harder look at leadership in the church. And the purpose of leadership in the church is to build two things, unity and maturity. Unity means we're all moving in the same direction and maturity that they're all growing. And, and you'll remember that one of the things that we kind of talked about is I'm not sure you can have unity in the church without maturity. And I'm pretty sure that you can't have maturity if there isn't any unity. So they kind of reinforce one another. Does that make sense? And so we've got leadership in the church trying to build unity and, and maturity. And, and for those of you who don't know, the way that Thrive Church is set up is we have a governing board. They, they govern, a lead pastor leads, the staff manages, and ultimately the congregation ministers to one another. And that's, that's a, it's kind of a bottoms-up approach. We're more interested in what's going on in the ministry, and really we're trying to build unity and maturity in the church. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then there's this passage that we, we used here, Ephesians chapter 4, um, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to, what's the word here? Equip, right, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, okay? So there's this idea of equipping as being the task. Now, the natural question, at least for me, is 
Equipped for what? It works of service, but what does that actually mean? I mean, what are we equipping people to do in the church? Are we equipping them to preach? Take care of third graders and thrive, thrive kids? Which, by the way, if you want to do that, I can hook you up. <laughs> okay? You know, what are we actually equipping people to do becomes the question. How shall we act? How shall we live? How shall we do this thing called priesthood together, people in the assembly. So I thought what we'd do is we'd, we'd uh, go through three separate passages. We've got three that I want to read through. I'm going to make some comment, and then I'm going to offer some thoughts at the end. So that's kind of what the project is today. So let's go into the scripture and start seeing about, about maybe what the, the Bible has to say about the kinds of ministry, the kinds of works of service the church ought to be engaged in. Because I think it's one of those things that we all use the words, but we may not have actually thought our way through it. Or we're carrying something with us um, from, from our past, the way that we grew up and the church that we grew up in. And, and maybe we just need to look at this with fresh eyes a little bit. So we're going to go into the text and do that. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We were there a couple weeks ago. We're back in 1 Peter, and we're in 1 Peter chapter 4 this time, okay? So grab, grab your Bible or your Bible app if you are uh, technically savvy. One of the few things I am still old school on, I like tactile. So I'm going to take... 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 7. Make some comment as I go along here. Chapter 4, verse 7, 1 Peter. He writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Hello. That's a tip, kids, right? Peter is writing to a persecuted church. Don't miss that. These are people who are suffering, and he is writing some type of encouragement to him, to them. And so he says, the end of all things are near. In other words, hang in there. We're still, we're still going strong. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Now, let's be honest. It is really difficult to pray when, you're, when your mind is a little bit cloudy, right? That's why, for me, prayer is preceded by coffee. I'm just saying. A lot of things are preceded by coffee in my life. But anyway, the point is, is that be clear-minded and self-controlled. I know that um, if I've spent, have, okay, you're in church. It's time to be honest, okay? Be honest, all right? How many of you binge watch on Netflix? And you just get to that point where you're not even paying attention to it. You're just seeing what's on Netflix, right? And it's easier just to sit on the couch than it is to go up and do something else. You may be hungry or thirsty, but your body's going, mm-mm, I'm not going. Maybe you even have to use the restroom, and your body's like, oh, man, do I have to get up, right? Oh, come on, I know you've been there. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've noticed is that if I've gone through kind of a binge-watching thing like that, the last thing I want to do when, I'm, when I get up from the couch is pray. All right? Be self-controlled. Anytime you do things out of control, the last thing you want to do is pray. And, and Peter's just acknowledging the reality that's there. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Now, verse 8. <laughs> Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
You know, I know it's been, been said in the, the home improvement industry that paint covers a mul multitude of sins, but that comes from somewhere. It's right here. Love covers a multitude of sins. So love each other deeply. Love that. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then verse 10, pay attention to this. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Gift, this gift that we're given. He says, whatever your gift is. And what's he talking about here? Well, he goes on, and we see just a little bit. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If everyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Now, what we're talking about here um, in the church is what we call spiritual gifts. The Greek term is charismata. Let me hear you say charismata. Oh, come on, it's just fun to say, isn't it? <laughs> Y'all like hakuna matata? It's charismata, okay? Charismata is the gifts that are given. And so what we believe is that when a person begins to follow Jesus, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to reside in their lives, to guide them and, and to uh, um, uh, counsel them as they go through, go through life, but he also gifts them, empowers them, to, in a divine sort of way, in order to contribute to the body. Does that make sense? Charismata. Now, uh, Tim, do you have those, those, uh, those sheets? Um, uh, we've got some notes, if you want to take some notes. Uh, let's do one per family, because we needed to print a few more. If you want one, raise your hand. Um, but you can write some of these down, because I think this is, this is important. Some things that I want you to know, because we are the body of Christ, and we want to be as healthy as we possibly can be. So we have these gifts the Holy Spirit gives us to empower us to contribute to the body. And that's what we're talking about today. Because if God has gifted us in a certain way, follow the logic, if God has gifted us in a certain way, and God has our best interest at heart, maybe the gifts are a clue to the types of ministries he wants to see in his church. Does that make sense? I have a firm grasp of the obvious this morning, okay? So we're trying to uncover these ideas of, of what, what God really wants for us. And in the most basic sense, the most basic gifts God gives, and you can write these down, is first is, is speak, speaking and serving. And if we look, and we're going to look at some of the, the gifts, they pretty much fall into those two categories, and so when you speak, speak as if it's the very word of God. And if you serve, serve with the strength that you have, right? So speaking and serving is the most basic of the list. Now, fortunately for us, there's another author in the, in the New Testament, a man named Paul, who gives us a little more detail. Because Peter's more interested in encouraging a persecuted church. Paul is a little more about detail. If you don't believe me, try reading the book of Romans. I'm just saying, okay? There's a lot of detail in there. And in fact, that's where we're going to go. We're going to go to Romans chapter 12. And flip over there. Romans chapter 12. We're going to do verses 4 through 8. 
I want you to see what, the, what this says. <clears throat> Just as each of us has one body with many members or parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. Remember we talked last week about unity and diversity? This is, this is another case in point. Paul is adamant about this. Um, so in Christ, we who are, uh, are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I need you, you need me, we need each other. Verse 6, we have different gifts, charismata, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. And I want you to notice that one of the things that you'll find over and over again, anytime we talk about spiritual gifts, it's always, almost always coupled with grace. That these are gifts given out of the grace of God. Keep that in mind. According to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him prophesy <clears throat> in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is, it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And by the way, it's not just men, it's men and women. Okay, I just want to make sure that you understand that. It's both. In this case, it's, it's a generic term. And you can see them here. And, and uh, I've left space on your, your um, outline if you want to write this down, but you have uh, prophecy and you have serve, teach, encourage, give, lead, mercy, each one of these. And if you think about it, some of these are speaking and some of these are serving. But it gives us a little more detail about what, what uh, these spiritual gifts actually look like. Now, if that's not enough detail for you, Paul's not done. He never really is. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is where it gets deep, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12. And now we're going to begin at verse number 7. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Now... To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I love that. That means that as we are gathered together, we are to seek out the common good, and God gives us, empowers us supernaturally to do that within the body. Are you tracking with me? This is important. We keep this in mind. For the common good. Uh, verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, sometimes called discernment, by the way, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Again, this is not something we choose. This is something that we are empowered by the Spirit by his purposes. That's grace given. Are you with me? So what I did is, uh, go ahead and um, put that next slide up for me, Donna. Here's, here's a list of them. Uh, and some of these probably deserve a little bit of, a little bit of uh, discussion, um, I don't have time to, to fully develop these, but uh, message of wisdom, message of knowledge, sometimes you just divinely know things. My kids, when they were real little, not so much anymore, but when they were real little, dad knows everything. Yes, that's right. 
keep that in mind when you're 16. But sometimes you, you just have, in a course of a conversation, you get a message of wisdom, and really it's just you know the right words to say at the right time to really help somebody to give them the right kind of advice. Has that ever happened to you before? You just kind of knew exactly what person needed to hear. That's a message of wisdom. There are some people who are particularly gifted at that. Right? <clears throat> Others is a message of knowledge. Um, and that can take a variety of different forms. There's different ways these things are manifested. But sometimes this idea of the, the gift of knowledge is, um, uh, or wisdom, wisdom can be counseling. You can be in a counseling session. Counselors often have a gift of wisdom. Gift of knowledge is, is uh, sometimes you're able to um, uh, take different ideas and pull them together. Um, uh, there, there's a term called tying clouds together. <laughs> I've heard that. I really like that. Um, sometimes a word of knowledge is you just know something. You don't know how you know it. You just know it. Um, that's happened uh, um, to me on occasion where you're just like, I don't know how I knew that. Um, people with faith are maddening. I'm just going to tell you because it doesn't matter. They're just, they're just going to keep plugging away. And for people like me who tend to be cup half empty, people of faith tend to be cup half full. Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? We're going to be positive about this? It's easier for me to complain. Thank you very much. Um, healing miracles, prophecy is always calling people back to God. Discernment is that you can just kind of tell the spirit something is done in. Uh, and then uh, uh, speaking in tongues, I'm going to talk about here in just a, a little bit. But we have this list of, of spiritual gifts. Now, there are a couple of other gifts that are mentioned in the text that are not in these lists, but are definitely spiritual gifts. One is celibacy. Yeah, that's got to be a gift, okay? So celibacy is one that's mentioned. Another one is a gift of craftsmanship. In the Old Testament, there were two men who were given spiritual gifts of crafting things for God's temple, for his tabernacle. That's a spiritual gift. Another one is administration. I love people with gifts of administration because I don't have that gift at all. They're detailed people. God bless them. Uh, I have a friend of mine from seminary, and he would um, sit down and at the, uh, take his syllabus at the beginning of the course, and he would map out the entire semester, knew how many pages he had to read in each book in order to complete all of the tasks needed for that seminary course. I loved him and hated him at the same time. <laughs> but he had a spiritual gift of administration. He just benefited from it, right? But he was very good at administering those things. He could just divide things up. It was, it was truly remarkable to see somebody who is gifted in that area actually uh, express their gifts appropriately. It's amazing. Um, to this day, if I need a little help with organization, I call up my buddy and say, hey, how's it going? I know I haven't talked to you in a year, but can you? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you need my gift, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Thanks. Thanks for being the body, man. I appreciate it. So uh, administration, that's the other one. But, but here's the thing. And there might be other gifts. And, and I know that sometimes that offends our sensibility. Well, if it's not in the Bible, it's not a gift. Hey, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I serve a God of an infinite creativity. That ain't all there is. These are the ones that we just know about. There might be some other ones out there that are just divinely in, inspired. They're gifted in a particular way, and you watch somebody work in their gift, and you're like, I, I remember the, uh, I took a seminary course from a guy named Joe Dongel. And Joe Dongel, uh, you had him, didn't you? Did you guys have him? Yeah. Um, Joe Dongel was one of the first people that I've actually seen operate in a spiritual gift of teaching. 
It was astonishing. He'd have a whiteboard, he'd start at the left side, and he'd work his way to the right, and by the end of class, the whole thing was completely covered. And I could not write fast enough. I was learning constantly, and it was just, and you would talk to the guy you would never know, but he got into the classroom, and a like, light switch went on, and he was lock, stock, ready to rock, and if you didn't have enough pencils, you were going to miss something. It was just a spiritual gift of teaching. It's awesome to see when people actually do that. It's really cool. So, so we have these list of gifts, and there, there might be some more. But be, before we actually you know, kind of move on from this, there, there's a couple of things that we, we need to deal with. Because over the years, over the centuries, spiritual gifts have caused some controversies. Controversies in the church, can you imagine? Does that actually, wow, that was my gift of sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> So, controversies. Um, we have a friend, his name is uh, Matt Nelson. He pastors City Church up in Brookside. And Matt comes out of the Assemblies of God, which is a Pentecostal denomination. And what that means, um, very simply, is that out of their tradition and a matter of, of teaching importance to them is on spiritual gifts. The Assemblies of God, in, in large part, uh, are, are responsible for the... Um, uh, the, the knowledge that we have about spiritual gifts today. Uh, it's just very important to them. Matt, however, will tell you, because of some of the controversies, that they uh, really like this. They're Pentecostal, but with seatbelts. Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah, I really like that. In the Church of God, we are not a Pentecostal denomination. Uh, we're what's called a holiness denomination. And different uh, congregations have slightly different beliefs about the spiritual gifts depending on the pastor. And so I'm, I'm just going to tell you where my position is on spiritual gifts. I think the staff is pretty close. We all kind of orbit the same idea. Um, I would say that we are charismatic, meaning we believe that the gifts are in operation today. We're charismatic, but with a five-point harness and a crash helmet and probably airbags, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm open, but I'm cautious because I believe that these things are, are in operation today, but we have to be careful how we use. Remember, Thrive Church, at our very core, one of our core values is we want to be thoughtful about things. So while I believe that these gifts are in operation, I think we have to be very careful how we choose to employ them. So let me give you an example kind of what I'm talking about here. First off, let me just state, going to drive my stake in the ground. I believe God is still in the business of healing. I believe that wholeheartedly. And if someone is sick, we need to pray for them, lay on hands and pray for them to be healed. And if they're healed, praise God. But I'm not sure that praying for someone's healing is the same thing as the spiritual gift of healing. Does that make sense? Because there were times where the disciples would walk up to a, a lame person or a blind person and they would say, get up and walk or now you see and bam, or shazam, it happens, right? That's a gift of healing versus praying. Now, should we continue to pray? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when, when, when God heals, God gets all the credit and, and if someone has a gift of healing and they can walk up and they can do that, fabulous, God still gets the credit. The point is, is that we want to be thoughtful in how we practice that. Are you with me, right? That's just one example of this. 
And the other issue that we have to talk about as far as controversies go is we need to talk about this idea of speaking in tongues, especially in this town, okay? There are uh, a couple of things that we need to say about that. First of all, here's a definition of speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues means that you are divinely empowered to speak a language that you have not studied or have not been immersed in. This takes two forms, typically. Number one is a foreign known language. Very often, missionaries who encounter other people groups will be given a divine gift to be able to communicate in that native language. And you hear this um, you know, periodically in the field, especially in um, places like um, Africa, where you have multiple types of languages in relatively small places, and you may learn one language and encounter a completely different people group who speak a totally different language. Okay? And so God will empower them to speak the good news, the gospel, in a language that they had never studied before. Or, the flip side, they would understand them. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning of the church. The Holy Spirit comes down and, and it talks about um, uh, tongues of flame coming on each one of the disciples as they spill out into the crowd and they are all speaking the good news and it says that people from other countries who spoke different languages each heard the good news in their own language. Okay? That's speaking in tongues. That's the, the first way. The second one we get from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, though I speak in the tongues of men and, do you know the word? Angels. So there's this angelic language, supposedly, and we find evidence for that in the scripture. Okay, So you have these two ideas that are coming out of the text Unknown language, previously unstudied, or an unknown language, meaning that it's angelic. Okay? So you have these two um, uh, types of languages that are, that are out there. Now, first of all, um, I think speaking in tongues is one of the gifts. I think speaking in tongues is uh, available for the church today. But I think 1 Corinthians chapter 14 gives us some guidelines some parameters, and so we don't practice it in the assembly. If you want to do it in your own home or if you're in a prayer meeting and, and it's acceptable to do that, that's fine, but you have to have somebody who has the gift of interpretation for gifts. By the way, one of the things that we know from experience is that people who are given the gift of speaking in tongues, um, it's, it's a common gift among those people who have been abused. Why? Because they can control it. They can control um, the actual speaking in tongues. And I think that's just a fascinating little piece of information. Um, because sometimes you, you're operating in your gift and you just boom, there it is. And, uh, but a, a person who's been abused, that's a big deal to them. And that makes, makes, makes a lot of sense to me. However, there are some mm, denominations, uh, there's one in particular here in town <laughs> that teaches that speaking in tongues is a sign, the sign of salvation. And they will tell you that if you don't speak in tongues, you're probably not saved. Okay? Uh, I categorically reject that. I do not find that in Scripture anywhere. Um, and I would say that's almost a heretical statement. I want to be very, very careful when I say that. Remember, I'm trying to be thoughtful more than anything else. 
I don't think speaking in tongues is the sign of salvation. I think it is a sign of salvation like all the other gifts. Because you've got a whole lot of people out there who are operating in spiritual gifts that don't happen to be speaking in tongues. So why would we elevate one over the other? Right? So we have to be very, very careful that we don't take that one and put it up there and say, hey, that's the evidence. I do not find that in Scripture. Uh, and I have heard the arguments, and I don't find it nearly as compelling as some of my other Pentecostal brothers and sisters do. Okay? I'm just, just saying. Um, that's okay. They're all going to heaven too. And God bless them because they're still doing the work of Jesus. <laughs> all right? And so we want to make sure that we, we keep that in mind that, you know, they're, they're following what they think is right. I just don't find any evidence of it. But if a person speaks in tongues, it is a sign. But no different than a person who can prophesy or have a word of knowledge or who can teach or has a gift of mercy. The problem is within the Western American church is we tend to take those public speaking gifts and we elevate those. It's almost like this, this idea of celebrity going on. But the fact of the matter is, is you cannot have a healthy church if both things aren't happening. Because if you've got a bunch of people just serving each other, there's nobody out there speaking or teaching or, or, or preaching good news or evangelizing. You don't have any of that going on, and so it just becomes a very small group of people. But by the same token, you can't just have one charismatic person who's out there talking all the time if there's nobody drawing people into the body and caring for them. Because, I mean, you can pretty much go anywhere and hear that. You understand what I'm saying? You have to have both those things, and, and so none of them are more important than another. Which leads me to some certain truths about spiritual gifts. Here's the first one. Here's the truth. Every believer has at least one gift. Every believer has at least one gift. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowers you to contribute to the body. For, for the common what? Common good. Right? It's important to be a healthy body. Here's the second truth. No one has all the gifts. Except maybe Jesus. Jesus might have had all the gifts. <laughs> But the point is, is that no one person has all the gifts. Uh, a few years ago, there was a, a president of a seminary um, who's just taken over, and they, they uh, put his resume online, and they listed his spiritual gifts. And I remember a friend of mine reading, reading through it and goes, hey, which gifts doesn't he have? <laughs> I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, no person has all the gifts. Um, because if they did, we wouldn't need the body. You understand that? It is important that we have that diversity so that everybody feels like they can contribute and no one person has all the gifts. Um, and I will tell you uh, right up front, I know I don't have all the gifts because you, know, you heard about my confession about administration. I won't tell you about some of the other ones, right? Okay, uh, here's the third one. <clears throat> we contribute most when we use our gifts. When you're operating within your giftedness, what's really interesting to me is that you are making a contribution and there is a certain satisfaction to that that I cannot describe. You just, you just, there's just something inside of you. You just feel like, oh, this, this, is, this is where I belong, inside the body. Does that make sense? And we often talk about this. Um, and then we talk about worship and grow and serve. We serve the church out of our giftedness because that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. We serve the rest of the world out of our passion, the things that just kind of resonate with us. Those are two totally different things. Gifts are for the common good inside of the church. Are you with me on that? Good. Next slide. 
<clears throat> so, here's the, the point that we want to get to is we started this whole idea with, you know, we're equipped for, for what? You know, we're supposed to be uh, uh, equipping for these works of service, but what does that actually mean? And so, what do these lists of gifts tell us about ministry inside of the church? Where's the evidence? We are going to reason inductively. What are we finding in the text? What are the things that you see? What can we infer about the types of ministries that need to be happening in the church? Well, if you think your way through those lists, there's a couple of things that come out that I think are, are, are pretty important. Things like encouragement. Exhortation is the, the classic term for it. Faith. Knowledge and wisdom. Healing. Leadership. Teaching. All of those are the things that we are gifted to do. And therefore, those are the ministries that we should be engaged in. And if you think about it, this is what the world is longing for. They got enough people out there to criticize them and tell them that they're unworthy and tell them that they're wrong, regardless of the political aisle, side of the political aisle you're on. And whatever you did isn't necessarily as good as what somebody else did. There's all of that. But the church, the church, the church is different. The church says you have something to contribute to this body and you have value. I've been thinking about this um, quite a bit because um, as a church, we're growing. And one of the things we have to, to deal with is the reality Number one, that people are looking for these things that the church ought to be engaged in, like healing and hope and love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and all of that. And secondly, the thing we have to come to grips with, those are the very things that we are gifted to join God in meeting those needs. There's two realities here. The reality of the circumstances and the reality of the empowerment. You are plan A, there is no plan B. Does that make sense? So think of it this way. This is the way I've been thinking about it. We care for people who are refugees from sin and suffering. Why? Because we too are refugees from sin and suffering. Who better to love them? Who better to care for them? Who better to minister to them? This is the grace and peace and giftedness that I've received, and it's free to you as well.